Anyway, um, today I want to talk about Palm Sunday. I've shared with you before about uh, eight years ago, I think, on Palm Sunday, and it could have been really easy because some of you are new to just resurface the old one and um, uh, just give that to you again because you probably didn't remember that one. But uh, I had thought about taking that and moving it around because Lori and I are in the throes of moving, and um, Lori had a great idea to go to an open house and, and uh, look for a one-story house, which we found. And now for the last three weeks, we've been tearing it apart and trying to put it back together. So never buy any house that you don't want to tear apart and put back together. So um, that's what we've been doing. And uh, I just wanted to have some time to do this. But I've been reading all week, and I really came across um, Matthew 21. And um, the other thing is I, I read some historical stuff talking about which parade would you have gone to? And so that's really the question I have for you guys. Um, the triumphal entry, which is the beginning of Holy Week, this is Palm Sunday, then we have Good Friday and Easter coming up. Understand, none of this stuff we ever talk about in church matters without next Sunday. Amen? None of it. Because if it wasn't, not the crucifixion, if it wasn't the resurrection of Jesus Christ to conquer death, and we could, through that, go to heaven and follow him, um, none of the stuff we talk about matters. It would just be nice philosophy. So I'm really excited for this Friday for Stephen's message and, sun and Sunday for Craig's message on the resurrection of our Lord. But I chose Matthew 21.1, um, and it's in your Bibles if you have a Bible or there's one in front of you. But if you will uh, join me as I read it. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there, with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. Verse 3, If anyone says to you, tell him that the Lord needs them, and, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Zechariah. Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle, and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Verse 6, the disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. The crowds then went ahead of them, and those that follow, followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet Nazareth, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, uh, we love to open your word. We open your word, and, and, and I love it when it's in my Bible there in red that I know it's the words that are spoken directly from you. And Lord, we just want to open our ears and open our hearts to hear what these words mean, Lord. And, and you are more than just a prophet. You are our Lord. And you're about to show these people and us what all that means. So we ask with a, with a grateful heart that we just heed your words today. In your name we pray. Amen. So today is Palm Sunday the day in which Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the back of a young donkey. This is the day described by Christians as the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. 
But do we ever ask ourselves, if this was a triumphal entry, then why did they crucify him five days later? If this is such a glorious Sunday for Christians, what goes wrong by Friday? Jesus finds himself betrayed by one of his own disciples, arrested by the high priest guard, accused of a coalition of religious leaders for blasphemy, tried by the Roman governor, sentenced to die the death of a common criminal, death by crucifixion. But you see, folks, you might not know that Jesus' parade into Jerusalem was not the only parade the city saw that day. In the year 33 AD, Roman historians record the governor of Judea, Pontius Pilate, led a procession of the Roman cavalry and centurions into Jerusalem. In his book, The Last Week, Marcus Borg writes this, quote, Imagine the spectacle of that entry from the western side of the city, the opposite side of which Jesus enters. Pontius Pilate leads Roman soldiers on horseback and on foot. Each soldier was clad in leather armor polished to a high gloss. On each centurion's head, hammered helmets gleamed in the, in the great sunlight. Drummers beat out the cadence of the march, for this was no ordinary entry into Jerusalem. Pilate, as the governor of the region, knew it was standard practice for the Roman emperor or the Roman governor of a foreign territory to be in its capital for Jewish celebrations. It was the beginning of Passover, a strange Jewish festival that the Romans allowed. However, the Romans were aware that this festival celebrated the liberation of the Jews from another empire, the Empire of Egypt. So, Pontius Pilate had to be in Jerusalem. The Romans had occupied the land by defeating the Jews and deposing their king 80 years before. Uprisings were always in the air. The last major uprising, uprising long before Pilate's time, had been right after the death of Herod in 4 B.C., after putting down the rebellion, the Romans marched on Jerusalem. After pacifying the city, they crucified 2,000 Jews who were accused of being part of that rebellion. The Romans made known their intolerance for rebellion. And on this occasion, Pilate traveled with a contingent of Rome's finest from his preferred headquarters in Caesarea to the proud,ed dusty, provincial capital of Jerusalem. See, the temple was the center of this Passover activity. Pilate's entry in Jerusalem was meant to send a message to the Jews where he set up right by the temple. And any of those Jews who might be plotting against the empire of Rome. The spectacle was meant to remind the Jews of what had happened the last time there was an uprising. And it was meant to intimidate the citizens of Jerusalem themselves who might think twice about joining a rebellion that was about to fail. But as I said, this was a day of two parades. If Pilate's parade was meant to show military might and strength, Jesus' parade was meant to show just the opposite. Matthew and Mark record Jesus' own words as he instructs his disciples to go into a city and find a donkey tied up. They ask the owner if they could use the donkey, and they are to say, the Lord needs them. Then Jesus quotes from Zechariah in the ninth chapter and says, Say to the daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. But there's more to this passage than transportation that day. The prophet Zechariah is speaking to the nation of Israel. Zechariah 9 
in Zechariah 9, he assures the people of Judah, which is now called Judea, that God has not forgotten them. I will defend my house against marauding forces. Never again will an oppressor overrun my people, for I am keeping watch. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. This was written in 630 B.C., 663 years before Jesus was to do this. We talked a few weeks ago about Isaiah, 700 years before the coming of Christ. Isaiah 53 describes Christ. The Bible is an amazing book, amen? In other words, Jesus, quoting from Zechariah, reminded those who heard him of the entire passage, God will deliver the nation of Israel against its oppressor. In this case, it was Rome. But the king they seek will come to them humbly, not on a steed of war as they expected, but on a slow-moving donkey. The symbol of a king comes into peace, according to Zechariah, The two parades could not be more different in their messages. Pilate was on horseback, regal, leading Roman centurions, asserts the power and might of the entire Roman Empire of whoever opposes it, he will crush. Jesus rides in on a young donkey, embodies peace and tranquility that God brings his people. Now the key point of this message, those who watch that day will make a choice, just like us. They will either serve the gods of this world, which is might and power, or they will choose to serve the king of a very different kingdom, the kingdom of God. See here, folks, Jesus has another problem. His followers and others who get caught up into his entry think they're choosing to follow Jesus. This is those who come to altar calls at big stadiums and rush down to left field and to hear the word and, and get saved. They think they're choosing to follow Jesus, but by the end of the week, Jesus will have disappointed this crowd at a rate faster than they can stand. See, that's true leadership. Disappointing your followers at a rate they can absorb. All right? They will turn on him, even those closest to him, the 12. They will betray him outright or they will abandon him in confusion and fear. It's interesting to note that the crowd that Sunday proclaimed, not just Hosanna, but Hosanna to the Son of David. In other words, they were placing their faith in Jesus that he would restore the glory of the nation to its splendor when David and his son Solomon ruled the United Kingdom. See, that's what the Jews wanted, after all. To be ruled by a man like David, A man so committed to God that the Old Testament prophets had proclaimed the coming Messiah would sit on the throne of his father, David. The Messiah would bring back the glory of Israel. He would rid the nation of oppressors. He would rule peacefully. He would be kind to the common people. Jesus had challenged the rulers of Judea already, not the Roman rulers, but the temple rulers. He had said to them that the temple was not the only way to God's forgiveness, and further, that the temple would be destroyed and not one stone left. Those who made their living from the temple freaked out. The scribes, the chief priest and his priests, the ruling council of the Sanhedrin, their religious parties, the Pharisees and the Sadducees would lose power and strength if they had no temple. 
So when Jesus saved the, la the lame man by first saying, your sins are forgiven, get up and walk, and then he healed him, he challenged the temple system. And when Jesus drove the money changers from the temple, proclaiming that the temple was to be a house of prayer for all nations, but that the religious leader had made it a den of thieves, Jesus exposed the corruption of the temple tax and those who sold animals for sacrifice and dishonesty. See, Jesus had disappointed and alienated a powerful people. He did so because the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the chief priests, the scribes, the Levitical priests, and others who ruled on Rome's behalf were part of the same system of oppression and domination that Pilate was part of. Just not for Rome, but for their own doing, for the temple. Jesus' entry into Jerusalem was a contrast of kingdoms. He may or not, may not have been planned on the same day as Pontius Pilate's parade through the western gate. But whether it was planned or not, the two parades provided a considerable contrast. A contrast between kings and kingdoms was on display that day in Rome. Although many of the common people thought they sided with Jesus, they did so for the same reasons the others sided with Rome, to turn the tables on their oppressors. That's why the crowd turns on Jesus by the end of the week. They don't think he's going to do any of those things. In addition, Jesus is going to make life worse for them, not better. The religious leaders, all of them, who never agreed on anything, agreed that Jesus is going to attract attention to the Roman Empire, especially during Passover, and Rome will come down fast and hard on the entire nation. And here's what the Sanhedrin says in John 11:45 through 50. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary had seen what Jesus did, and that was resurrect Lazarus. They put their faith in him. Verse 46. Some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is a man performing many miraculous signs. Verse 48, if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. Self-serving. Verse 49, then one of them named Caiaphas spoke up. You know nothing at all. Do you not realize it is better for you than one man die for the people than the whole nation perish? Verse 53, so from that day on, they plotted to take his life. See, when Jesus is accused, he was brought before Pilate and the angry mobs and they wanted to get rid of him. Jesus, in their minds, never did what they wanted him to do. They never defeated the Romans. He never dissolved the unfair tax system. He never put common people in charge of the government and he never would. To appease the crowds that swelled in the city of Jerusalem, Pilate had the custom of releasing prisoners mostly political prisoners. But on the last week of the life, Pilate offers a crowd a choice between Barabbas, a known murderer and robber, and Jesus, the failed Messiah. Fearing that if Jesus were released, he would start all over again, the crowd begged for Barabbas to be released, Jesus to be executed, and not just by any means. Crucify him, they yelled. But see, I'm getting ahead of the story this week, a story which will conclude on Friday, Good Friday, and on Sunday, Easter. But the moment, ask yourself, if I had been in Jerusalem that day 
and see both parades passing by, who would I have chosen to follow? We know we can sit here and say that, but that is a choice we make each day, to choose power and might over love, to choose the way things are done or the way God intends them to be. Two parades, two theologies, two choices. Which parade would you choose? The answer is between you and the Holy Spirit that lives in you, hopefully. Are you with Christ all the way, or do you praise the Lord when things look good for you and turn your back when they don't turn out the way you want? Are you ready to throw branches at His feet, tell others about His love, until the world shakes you up a little bit? In a few weeks, we're going to hear his story when uh, we get into the book of Job with the Michael Williams family, and I can't wait because this family has just stayed strong in their faith before the accident, after the accident, and all the days. It's an amazing story. Do we desire the God we want versus the God who is? My God wouldn't do that. Well, my God doesn't allow this, or my God would never send these people to hell. But that's not the God who is. Scripture tells us who God is. Do we desire justice in the world as long as it doesn't include us? I demand justice. Romans 6.23 says what? The wages of sin is death. How do we have eternal life? John 3.16, you all know it. We all want to go to heaven. But this is the real question. Are we ready to live for Him here? Are we ready to live every day like Christ is your King? You might have gone to the parade because we're good church people. But who was with Jesus at Golgotha, his mother, John. Peter betrayed him. Judas sold him out. Judas could have been saved, right? Peter did worse. Peter denied him three times. Peter hung around. Judas killed himself. It's never too late. Jesus was alone at his death. And what did he say? Forgive them for they know not what they do. But folks, I'm here to ask you, let's not get to that point. Let's follow him like he's the only thing in our lives, like he's the first thing in our lives. Many business leaders talk about compartmentalizing. There's a, there's a financial life and a religious life and a personal life and a family life. We as Christians know everything is wrapped around Jesus Christ. Amen? And it should be. It should be. So, while you think about that, I'm going to stay quiet for about 30 seconds. It's going to be hard, but I'm going to stay quiet for about 30 seconds, and then I'm going to close in prayer. And I just want you to look at those five statements and just think about them for 30 seconds to a minute. Will you join me? Heavenly Father, the people here at Foothills Church 
so want to be followers of you. We want to surrender our lives to your will. When the world shakes us a little or a lot, Lord, we still want to throw branches at your feet. We want to know the God who is. We desire justice, but we, Lord, we desire divine justice, your justice. We pray that we live for you each and every day, Lord. We just pray for the new pastor that's about to come our way, Lord. You have that person picked out. Please grant us patience as we find that right person, Lord. What a blessing the 40 days of prayer were, Lord. Praying for our elders and our leaders and our teachers and, and Lord, most specifically, the new pastor and his family. And pray for all the people here at Foothills Church that they just come afire with your Holy Spirit that lives in them. That, Lord, your word says in Galatians, we've been crucified with you. We no longer live, but you live in us. And all the good people of Foothills Church said, Amen.